So now, if you have a Bible, please pull that out, and we'll be turning to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there are Bibles in these black chair pockets and in stacks at the end of the side aisles, and um, you feel free to use that this morning. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to keep that one. Um, And if you borrow one of those or take one of those, this will be on page 724. Turning to Mark 12, beginning in verse 28. And when you get there, you can just hold your finger on the page until we read it together. This morning we're starting a new sermon series. It's going to take us from now until almost Christmas on emotions. And I wonder, I wonder how it strikes you that we're going to spend five weeks talking about our feelings. I wonder if that sounds maybe a little fluffy to you. Um, maybe you'd like to hear something a little more practical, something about how God relates to your work or what the Bible says about parenting. Maybe you'd like something a little more theological, what the Bible says about the kingdom of God or what's going to happen in end times. But consider how much of your life you live through your emotions. You wake up feeling annoyed because the baby who normally sleeps past six is up at 5.15. You get out of the door late and you, and you sit in your car and you stew in frustration because leaving five minutes late makes you 15 minutes late to work. You experience panic when you get to your desk and realize that you forgot about your 8 o'clock meeting and now you have 15 minutes less to prepare for it. You experience relief when the meeting is canceled. You experience sorrow as you sit with a coworker who's struggling in her marriage. You experience hope as you look ahead to the weekend. When we talk about emotions, we're talking about how we experience everyday life. And if God is disconnected from your emotions, he's disconnected from your life because your emotions is where you live. And our culture doesn't quite know what to make of emotions, right? On, on one side, they, people think that their emotions are just unalterable and authoritative. We can't change them, so we just have to obey whatever we feel, right? We, we say, um, I... I've just, I've just, I don't have any feelings for you. I've just lost feelings for you, and there's no point in pretending. Or you might hear people say, well, just follow your heart. I'm just, I'm just following my heart. Or I, I know it's wrong, but I just, I feel like I have to do this. So on one side, emotions can be kind of our authority, and on the other side, emotions can seem unimportant, right? For some people, it's just, you just, you just grit your teeth, right? Stiff upper, lip, stiff upper lip, you just do what you have to do and forget about how you feel, And Jesus sees it differently. Our emotions aren't our authority. They don't rule us. We don't have to obey them. But they're also not unimportant. They're a gift from God with a purpose in our life. And so to introduce this series, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that will be familiar to some of you if you've you've read the Bible much or you've been around church for a while. Um, But we're, we're not going to exhaust it, but we're going to draw out an element of this passage that's easy to overlook but will be foundational for the next four weeks. So please follow along as I read in the Bible, if you have it, or on the screen behind me. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we, we receive this again as your word. We receive this as you speaking to us, you addressing us this morning. And so we don't want to play around um, in this time. We want to listen to what you have to say. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would come and you would speak, that you would use your word and that you would speak to all of our hearts and that you would form us to be who you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look this morning at this passage. We're going to see the importance of emotions, the meaning of emotions, the problem with our emotions, and hope for our emotions. So first, the importance of emotions. So you've seen this interaction between a scribe who's an expert in the Jewish religious law and Jesus. The scribe asks him, there's a, Jesus is in a kind of series of interactions with religious experts, and in this one he asks him, what the greatest commandment of all is. Of the hundreds of commandments God has given his people, which one is tops? Which one is central? Which one, if if we don't do anything else, must we do? And Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He says that the most most important commandment is to love God. And he says that this love we're supposed to have for God is a it's a complete love. He says, he uses the word all four times. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a complete love. It's not divided. It's not love God somewhat and then, and then love all the other things too. Kind of split your heart. No, love God with all your heart. It's complete and it's comprehensive. He says it, it, it encompasses every part of us from deep inside our heart all the way out to our strength. Um, the idea there in, in the Hebrew, which he's quoting from Deuteronomy, it's, it's loving God with everything you are and everything you have. Everything God has given you, return it to him in love. And, and here's the question I want you to consider this morning. Can you obey this commandment, the greatest commandment, the most important commandment according to the Son of God himself? Can you obey this commandment without your emotions being engaged? Can you obey this commandment if you do all the things God tells you to do but feel nothing for him? Can you obey this commandment if you think of yourself as a Christian but you experience life basically as the same way everybody else does? What makes everybody else angry makes you angry. What makes everybody else anxious makes you anxious. What everybody else hopes in, you hope in too. Now love, as we know, is, is more than emotions. It's more than feelings. It's much more, right? But, but real love encompasses our emotions. We would all recognize something wrong in a love that that didn't affect us emotionally, that has no emotional component to it. If we knew a friend had had no feelings for her spouse and she was only staying in the marriage to keep her word and for the sake of the children, we would admire her for her integrity. But we wouldn't aspire to that kind of marriage because we all recognize that real love affects you deeply. 
So think about some of the implications of this. Think about what it says about God, that this is the most important commandment to him. This means that God wants more from you than your church attendance. Right? God is not lonely. He doesn't feel better when you come. And God wants more from you than you're giving. God owns everything. He doesn't need what we give. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you of such intimacy that it affects you down all the way to your core. And if that's news to you this morning, then then this message is an invitation to you to a relationship with God that is deeper and more intimate than you have maybe ever dreamed. Some people think that Christianity is mainly a set of rules. It's It's a certain way to live a strict way to live. And certainly there are rules, right? There's no Christianity without obeying Christ. But, but what few understand is that Christianity is, first of all, it's a kind of heart that is so deeply changed, so full of love for God that obedience isn't burdensome. It flows out from this heart full of love. But think also about this. If this is true, if the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, to love God in such a way that it, that it affects your emotions, that it affects your outer life, then that implies that there are, there are emotions that are right and there are emotions that are wrong. Right for the moment or wrong for the moment. Right for the circumstances or wrong. And that's not the same as positive and negative emotions, as if the right emotions are to always be happy, right? To always just be, just be beaming. Grief and sadness are, they're negative emotions, right? Nobody wants to experience them, but sometimes they're exactly right. When you've lost someone that you love, when you've been betrayed by a spouse, when you are the betrayer, when you have grieved God, it's, it's right to mourn, it's right to be sad. Sometimes, sometimes those negative emotions are exactly the right ones. So emotions are right and wrong. To say that is not to say the same that that we should, that emotions, that's not the same as emotions that are positive and negative, but our emotions can be right or wrong. And you might, you might push back a little bit here and say, hey, how, how could anyone judge my emotions, right? They just are what they are. I don't control them. I just, I feel what I feel and I need, I just need people that can accept me and just let me feel what I'm feeling. And I hear you, right? We, we don't, we often don't choose our emotions. It's not like we sort of like, uh, like we're picking out our clothes, sort of like, oh, happy today, and just put it on. We don't choose our emotions. And we do need places where we can be honest. But, but just consider, wouldn't you think that it was the wrong emotion to feel if a coworker got terminated and you were rejoicing on the inside because it means less competition for promotion? Wouldn't you feel that it was the wrong emotion to feel if you, if you were observing a mother in public who, who was totally unaffected by a, a child just screaming out of hunger, you would think that that, that just doesn't fit. That, that emotion is wrong for this moment and this time. Jesus is highlighting for us the importance of emotion. We can't obey the most important commandment unless our emotions are engaged in loving God, unless our emotions are what God says they ought to be. And so we want to go there together. And to do so, we need to better understand, secondly, the meaning of emotions. To understand what emotions are, we need to know more about what the Bible means when it talks about the heart. Jesus says that we are to love God with all of our heart. And, and today we associate hearts almost exclusively with romance, right? They're going to be everywhere 
in a few months as Valentine's Day approaches. But the heart is it's a much richer concept in Scripture. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the essential you. Not the you that you project to your boss. Not the you that shows up on the first date. Not, not you as your parents describe you to their friends. But the real you. The real you. The you that has fears. The you that has unspoken ambitions. The you that still hopes. The you that regrets. You as you really are. And some writers have helpfully kind of distinguished three In scripture, three functions of the heart, three facets of what the heart is and what the heart does. So the heart has thoughts. So for example, Jesus has this interaction in the Gospels where he he heals a man who's paralyzed, but before he does, he tells him, my son, your sins are forgiven. And there's some religious leaders there, and outwardly they're just showing no emotion, but inwardly they're just furious. And they're saying, how can he claim to forgive sins? He's blaspheming. But it's all, they're kind of hiding it inside. And Jesus says to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? Because our hearts in scripture, that's where our thoughts are. The things that nobody else knows, the truths we believe, the beliefs we hold, they're inside. The heart also has intentions. So Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In scripture, when you make plans, when you make choices, when you, when the things that you're most loyal and committed to, that takes place in your heart. So the heart has thoughts and it has intentions. And thirdly, and most relevantly for us this morning, the heart has desires. So Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In the Bible, your heart is where your desires reside. So to love God with all our heart means to love him with our thoughts, to love him with our intentions, and to love him with our desires. And it's that last facet we want to think about this morning. And here's why. Because our desires determine our emotions. So just follow me here. If there's, if there's something that you deeply desire and you receive it, you rejoice. If, if you just barely miss it, you experience disappointment. If, you, if, if, if what you really desire, what you really treasure is in danger, you experience anxiety. If it's safe, you experience peace and relief. If you lose it forever, you experience grief. Our desires, our treasures, whatever status they're in, determines our emotions. Now, I didn't, I didn't grow up anywhere near the ocean. I grew up way inland in America, and so the water close to me was mostly running water, streams and rivers. And I spent a decent part of my childhood on boats, ski boats and fishing boats and uh, canoes, even some whitewater rafting. And it's incredibly important when you're, when you're boating to know how to read the water, to know if the stick coming out of the water is floating or if it's attached to a massive underwater tree, right? To be able to tell when a ripple on the surface is a fish or it's a, a giant submerged rock. And when you're rafting, and this is, see, here's my Boy Scout training coming out. When you're rafting and you see in the water ahead of you a V and it's opening away from you, you know there's a rock at the front of it, and you have to go around the rock. But if you see a V opening towards you, you know there's two rocks, and you have to go between them, right? It's incredibly important when you're boating to be able to read the surface of the water and to know what's happening below. Our emotions are like the surface of the water of our life. 
We, get, we can't see into our hearts. We can't know what desires are most controlling us. But we can learn to read our emotions to know what's going on inside. Our emotions can show us what we really desire, what we most love, even if we're not aware of it. So um, do you become anxious and irritable when you're going over your budget and looking back at the past month and seeing how much you overspent? Does that, does that start to get at your heart? Your emotions are being governed by your desire for financial security. You can't, you can't experience peace unless you know you have enough money put away. Or do you become depressed and resentful when you know your friends have gone out for the night and nobody's called you? Do you it's, it's okay to be disappointed, but do you become just totally cast down? Your emotions are being governed by your desire to feel loved and important. You can't be happy unless you're included. So our emotions can show us what we desire, and they can show how much we desire it. So when your spouse cuts you off in conversation, do you feel just like a little irritated, or do you feel enraged because what you really desire is to be respected at home? When, when the teacher calls you to ask for a special meeting to talk about your child's behavior, do you feel concerned, or do you feel just mortified? You just burn with shame because of how much you want people to think that you're a good parent. When you have to make the big presentation at work, are you just like a little nervous or are you sick to your stomach because of how badly you want to impress? Before we moved to Cayman, Kim and I were members of a church in Wisconsin. And when I was a pastoral intern, I was asked to preach. And um, I'd preached before, but it was, I hadn't preached to a thousand people before. And so the senior pastor asked me to come to his office the Wednesday before I was going to preach on Sunday and show him my sermon outline, actually, like the sermon written out so he could kind of make some notes. And we sat, he'd, he'd read it beforehand. We sat down and he went through and gave me some tips and suggested some little changes. And then he said he had sort of like a, a moderate concern to raise which was he wasn't sure that I'd actually understood the point of the passage, which didn't feel, it didn't feel moderate to me. And so he made some suggestions. He was really gentle, said, why don't, why don't you take some time, come back to me tomorrow, we'll talk more about it. And I left his, I thanked him, I left his office, I went next door to my friend, the youth pastor, shut the door, and I just broke down in tears. Like, I was younger than I am now, but I was a grown man, and I was crying, I was just bawling my eyes out, because I'd gotten some moderately negative feedback on a sermon. So why? What made my emotional reaction so over the top? It was because what I was controlled by, what I really wanted most, was to impress my senior pastor. Because I knew that like, if he was on my side, it meant opportunities in the future, it meant everybody you know, would, be, would be behind me. So our emotions can show us what we desire. They can show us how much we desire it. They're like they're like the gauges on the dashboard of your car, right? As you, if you begin to see the engine temperature rising or, you know, your, your odometer is going into the red and you're not drag racing, you know, lights begin to flash, you know it's probably not a problem with the gauges. There's something, there's something going on below the hood. It needs to get checked out. In the same way, our emotions can show us when things are out of whack in our hearts. We can, we can begin to ask, that, that wasn't that big of a deal. Why am I so angry what, what's making me so anxious that I can't sleep? What, why am I so down? Why have I, I've just been down all weekend. What's making me so depressed? Now, obviously, there are other factors, right? Our emotions can be affected by what we've eaten and how much sleep we've gotten. It can be affected by hormones and chemical imbalances and, 
and your relational history, all those things are true. I don't want to oversimplify, but in the main, our emotions can tell us a lot about what we're treasuring in our hearts. And it matters because Jesus says that the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart. God is to be our greatest desire. God is to be our greatest treasure. So our emotions are good and bad. They're right and wrong to the degree that that God is our greatest treasure and delight or something else is, which leads us to, thirdly, the problem with our emotions. So the scribe has come to Jesus, and he's kind of come to evaluate him. It's, it's a little bit of a test. I don't know if you noticed that, but he comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question. This probably this question that the scribes have been kicking around themselves. What's the greatest commandment? And he wants to see how Jesus is going to answer. And Jesus tells him, and he says to him, he, he, Jesus gets the seal of approval, right? Jesus passes the test. He comes back to him, and he says, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, And with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors and oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He comes to evaluate Jesus, and Jesus passes the test. And right then, Jesus turns the table on him. I don't know if you noticed that, but look at verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So now now he is being evaluated, and Jesus says, that's a wise answer. That's, that's a good answer. You're not far from the kingdom of God. But what does that imply? You're not in the kingdom of God. You know the right answer. You, you know what you ought to do. You know that you should love God with all of your heart. But do you? Are you living what you know? And as, as we read this living word, Jesus is challenging us as well. Emotions are the gauge of our desires. They reveal our heart's treasure. So what do your emotions say about you? What really gets you engaged? What makes you lean forward in your seat? What makes you want to celebrate? What makes you weep with joy and relief? Or the other way, what what has the power to devastate you? What drives you into a rage? What, what knots your stomach and tenses your shoulders? Are your emotions wrapped up in God, in his goodness, in his work, in the progress of the gospel around the world? Or are they, are they wrapped up mainly in the success or failure of your business? Or the success or failure of a relationship? Or the success or failure of your kids? Now, it's not, it's not wrong to want to succeed in your parenting. It's not wrong to want success in any of those areas. But what desire is deepest? What most grips your heart? What affects you the most? Is it a desire for God or is it a desire for something else? As he often does in responding to this man's question, Jesus quotes his Bible, which is the Old Testament. He, in that part about loving your neighbor as yourself, he quotes the book of Leviticus. And in the, in the part about loving God with all your heart, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And this passage was famous. It was, it was well known by the Jews. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. And they recited it twice every day. This was central to their identity. Day by day, they reminded themselves every day that their God is the only God, that there's one God, and he deserves all their heart and all their strength. They reminded themselves of it day by day, and so they were reminded day by day of the stakes of failing to obey. And here's why. The book of Deuteronomy 
is a covenant. It's the fifth book of the Bible. You can look it up for yourself. The whole book is a covenant. It's an agreement between God and his people as they're about to come into the promised land that God was giving them. And in this covenant, God, God tells them what he's done and he tells them what he's calling them to do. And it closes, as many covenants at the time did, with a list of blessings that will come upon them if they obey it, if they really do love God with all their heart, and a list of curses, punishments that will come upon them if they fail, if they break the covenant, if they break faith with God. And, and the list of, of curses in Deuteronomy 28, it will, it will chill your blood. He says that, that if, they, if they don't love God with all their hearts, if they don't keep the covenant, they'll experience famine. Not enough food. They'll have diseases. They'll, they'll be conquered by their enemies. He says that they will, they will be exiled. Enemies will come into their land and take them out, and they will be slaves again, just as they'd been slaves in Egypt. All of this for failing to love God with their whole heart. God is jealous for our hearts, and to elevate anything as our treasure above him, to make anything more important to us than he is, invites his just punishment, invites his curse. And the problem with our emotions, your emotions and mine, is that they show us that something other than God is gripping our hearts. That what really affects us, that really, that really makes us rejoice or really depresses us, that makes us anxious, that gives us peace, is something other than him and his ways. In biblical language, we have idols. Idols of the heart, things that we worship in the place of God. So the most important commandment is to love God with all our heart, and our emotions show that we don't, that other desires control us. We have broken the most important commandment of a holy God. So is there any hope for us? Yes. So let's look finally at hope for our emotions. We need to remember who's speaking here, right? Jesus is not some emotionally distant religious teacher just coming like, to drop truth bombs on us. Do you know when Jesus is having this interaction? It was a Tuesday. Do you know how we know it was a Tuesday? Because the gospel writers record in painstaking detail the events of this week of Jesus' life because it was the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus has come to Jerusalem for the last time, and he knows that it's the last time. He was welcomed on Sunday into the city as a king. This is Tuesday. He will be dead on Friday. Three days from the cross, Jesus is having this conversation. He has not come just to tell us that we have this massive problem in our hearts and then to, to leave us alone. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to address this problem, this problem of idols of the heart, this problem of breaking the great commandment. Remember, the most important commandment is to love God with your whole heart, and those who don't, those who don't love God with their whole heart, deserve God's just punishment, his curse. And that's all of us. But there was a man who kept the covenant perfectly. Jesus always loved God with his whole heart. And because he did, he experienced the full range of human emotion, but always in just the right way at just the right time. So Jesus rejoiced in his father's goodness and in his father's plans, and he, he wept at the death of a friend. Jesus was angry when people were more committed to their religious traditions than to meeting the needs of the people around them. He was, 
He was appalled and horrified as in the Garden of Gethsemane as he contemplated his coming death. Jesus wasn't like a robot, no emotion, just sort of floating through his mission. Jesus, because he loved God with his whole heart, he was totally engaged in the world. He always did it just right. He didn't always experience positive emotions, because who could in this broken world? But his, he loved God with all of his emotions because he always treasured God most in his heart. So Jesus, follow me here, Jesus alone deserved the blessing. Jesus alone kept the covenant. He deserved all the good things that come to those who have obeyed God perfectly. And on the cross, Jesus chose the curse. He alone deserved the blessing, but he chose the curse. He chose to be cut off from humanity. He chose to be cut off from his Father. He chose to undergo all the punishment that we deserve for giving our hearts to idols. He chose the curse so that we who have not loved God with our whole hearts could receive the blessing. Jesus chose the curse so we could have the blessing. He took what he didn't deserve, death, so that we can have what we don't deserve, life, love, eternity with God. And, and the best, so the best this scribe could hope for, the best any of us could hope for, just trying really hard on our own, is to be not far from the kingdom of God. That's, that's the best we can do, is to be not far, because we've all fallen short. But when we trust in Jesus, we're brought all the way into the kingdom, and we're treated as though we had done all that Jesus did. And Jesus didn't just die so we could be forgiven, so we could spend eternity with God. He died so we could be transformed now in this life. The Bible says that one of the gifts of the new relationship with God we can have because of Jesus, what the Bible calls the new covenant, one of the gifts of the new covenant is that God's own spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives, gives us a heart that really can love God and begins to change us from the inside out. The, the Apostle Paul talks about, in Galatians chapter 5, he, calls, he talks about this transformation. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the changes that the Holy Spirit makes as he changes your heart. And he, he lists them. He says that we'll experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look, at greater, look in greater detail at how this actually happens, at how God moves us towards hope and peace and joy and love, all the, all the things that we ought to be experiencing as we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But for now, I just want you to see that this is possible. If you've trusted in Jesus, that he died and rose for you, not only is your eternity secure, but there's hope for your emotions as well. You don't have to be so consumed by anxiety. You can awaken from indifference. You won't always be so angry. You'll let go of the bitterness. Jesus can and will transform you from the inside out. So here's when you can start this. Here's where you can start this week. This week, as you go through the week, we're all going to be on the roller coaster of emotion. When you sense that you're experiencing an emotion that's out of step, it's not right for the moment, or it's out of proportion, it's just way over the top, you can ask, What's underneath this? What, what desire is this person denying from me that I'm so angry at him? 
Am I, seeking, am I seeking a home life where nothing's expected to me instead of being a servant at home? And that's why I'm so frustrated with my kids for asking one more question. Am, what, what treasure is in danger that's making me so anxious that I just I can't think about anything else? When, and when you can see what other than God is under those emotions, what you're treasuring with your heart, then you confess to God, go to God and say, I, I should love you with all my heart, but right now I'm just so captured with this thing. Right now I'm loving this with all my heart. And you ask him to give you the forgiveness that Jesus died on the cross to make possible. And then you turn from it, turn away from that false God and, and worship God. Worship God for being worthier than any other love, than any other treasure. You were made for a deep communion with God, a relationship that moves you and satisfies you so deeply that your whole life is transformed. Recall to mind God's greatness in making the world, his goodness in sending his son, his kindness in rescuing you even though you don't deserve it. The other night, my older son, who's four, and I were, we were reading the Bible before bed. We were in his story Bible, and he asked me to read the story Bible version of the 23rd Psalm, which is, The Lord is my shepherd. And as I was, as I was trying to explain to Joshua, what it means that the Lord is our shepherd, I was so moved, again, by considering God's gentleness and his kindness, his protection, the way he provides for us, just remembering who he is stirred up my love for him. The more we cultivate love for God, the safer we are from giving our hearts to anything else. So, listen. God-honoring emotions flow from a heart that treasures God most. We don't want to focus on just fixing our outer life. If God will change our hearts, the rest will follow. Your emotions are a gift. They were given to you so you could love God deeply. They have this wonderful function of helping you see what's really going on inside. Though we have all turned from what ought to be our first love, we ought to love God with all of our hearts, and we haven't. Jesus took our curse so we can have his blessing so we can have the love for God we were always meant to have. So please don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you, in your compassion, in your love, in your, in your longing for a people, for your own possession, that you gave what was most precious to you, your son's life on the cross, so that we could belong to you forever and so we could have the intimacy with you, the love for you, the passion for you that you deserve and for which we were made. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for the spirit who works in our hearts to make us who we ought to be even though we don't deserve it. We thank you for your word and its goodness and the way that it, the way that it helps us to see our life as it is. And I pray for us, Father, have mercy on us Help us to see what's really going on in our hearts, what's really gripping us, what we really treasure, and help us to turn from that to you, to your glory and to your beauty and to your goodness and to the life you're calling us into. Please help us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.